Kids. And uh, today we're going to be looking at uh, one of the most inspiring women of faith throughout Scripture. Uh, one I pray that we could uh, learn from and glean from, and uh, her name is Ruth. And she has an entire book of the Bible dedicated to her. Read this book. It's a powerful book. Uh, and uh, we're going to talk about the first two chapters. And I'm going to start in verse uh, 1 of chapter 1. And i uh, give you a little background on what's going on here. It says, in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a little while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Abimelech, his wife's name was Naomi, and the names of their two sons were Maholon and Kilian. And they were Euphrates from Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to Moab and lived there. Now Abimelech, Naomi's husband, he passed away tragically, and she was left with her two sons. And her two sons, when they're in Moab, they married Moabite women named Orpah, and the other was Ruth. And they had lived there about 10 years, but Mahala and Kilian also passed away during that time. And now Naomi was left with her two sons, without her two sons and her husband. Tragedy had struck. And uh, the topic of this morning's uh, talk I want to give you is where legacy is born. Where legacy is born. And if I had a more lighthearted title, I would call it Stage Five Clinger. Stage Five Clinger. Uh, just real quick, uh, really excited. We had a couple babies born at Shore Christian Church this past week. Uh, Alana and Dean Boyd had a son two days ago um, named Elijah Valentino. Boyd, and so excited to be able to meet him. And also, uh, Wayne and Renee Sibilia had their fourth child, uh, Emily. Congratulations. And uh, Wayne is representing now with, uh, with their oldest daughter, Helena. Congratulations. Uh, will you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for uh, life, Lord God. We thank you so much for Emily and for Elijah, Lord God. I pray that you protect those children. I pray that you will help them grow in your stature, Lord God. And uh, I just pray for the next 30 minutes, Father, that you will just help me be able to share this message in a way that can speak to everybody in here. We are all in at a, such a different walk of life. Some are, are, are older or younger or uh, at the pinnacle or maybe in the valley, Lord God. But your word has the ability to be able to reach everybody, Lord God, no matter where we are at. And I pray that it will do that this morning in Jesus' name. And everybody says, amen. amen. Anybody know any clingy people? Anybody? Are you clingy? Are you clingy? I think, I think in some way, come on, you're, you're clingy. Something, you, what do you cling to on a Saturday night when you're, you're getting tired? We're all clingy people to something, somewhere, someone. Uh, and I, I think we, we could all relate uh, to, to having some things, especially uh, certain moments we just cling to, gravitate towards. Um, anybody have clingy children? Just can't seem to shake them. Like everywhere you go... <laughs> There they are, right there. Um, you know, I'm blessed with, uh, uh, I, I would say Judah is probably the clingiest uh, one that we have. 
Um, hey, John, how you doing, buddy? Good to see you on the front row today. And Judah is, is super clean. He's our oldest because when he was first born, uh, we just coddled him. We were so excited, the firstborn. We like brought him to bed with us every night. We were so excited. That was a mistake because then that, that leads to every single night being in bed with you. Uh, and, then, uh, and then we had Lily, our second. And uh, Lily's not as clingy because when she was born, we just threw her in the crib and looked, waited till the morning and just prayed she survived till the morning. Uh, totally different when you have a second child, isn't it? You know, first child, it's like, you, you know, you, you're, you're, you're grilling every babysitter. You're like baby-proofing everything. Second child, totally different. Uh, but Judah was our clingy child. And I'll never forget when Judah was two years old, uh, Diamond and I put him to bed and we're watching this movie called Impossible. And it's about a tsunami that hit Thailand. True story, but they did a movie about it. And uh, so we were recommended this movie, and so we're watching it. And literally right as the tsunami is about to, like, hit Thailand, there comes Judah out drinking, looking for some water. And he's coming out and sees the tidal wave hit Thailand, and he's, he screams, he's crying. We're trying to explain to him that it's just a movie. And, and, and then from that moment on, every single time we go to the beach— Judah is attached to mom's leg like, like glue. You can't, and then, and then God forbid Diamond tries to go in the water. He's, he's hysterical, like, like mom, no, the, the tsunami is coming. Don't go in there. And he was a, a, a clinger ever since that moment. And we've laid hands on him and now he's, he's been delivered of that and we're very thankful for it. Um, uh, Rick, Sandy, you guys are awesome. Uh, and, but, but we all, like, our kids have things that we cling to. We have things that we cling to. And, and this story is, is really the story of a stage five clinger. And, uh, and it's the story of that. And to give you a little background on what's going on here, what, what did I just read to you in those first five verses of Scripture? And, and it, it really is a mouthful because it's the story of this family. It's a, a husband and wife, uh, Naomi and Abimelech, and uh, they're from the tribe of Judah. They're living in Judah. Judah is a place of praise. They're, they're, they're born and raised there. They're Israelites. And all of a sudden, uh, when they're in, in Israel, in the town of Bethlehem, uh, there's a famine that comes. And rather than just staying put where God placed them, and just because there's a famine doesn't mean you have to go run over into the next thing. Sometimes if God placed you there, even though there's a famine, even though it gets a little uncomfortable, you need to stay planted where God placed you. Uh, but that's not what, what Naomi and, and Amimelech did. Uh, they, they went to this foreign land called Moab. I, I, and I think that a lot of us can, can relate to that. Uh, because we could, we could jump ship because we get a little uncomfortable and think that this isn't God's will. But I don't know about you, but I would rather be uh, hungry in the baggage claim of a plane with a Captain Sullivan, the heroic pilot, flying that plane than be in first class eating filet mignon with Charlie Sheen flying that plane. Do I hear an amen? You know, so sometimes you need to stay planted because whose plane you are in. And whether there's a storm or whether you're going through a crisis, as long as I'm in the boat with Jesus, I'm going to be okay. I'm not going to get out of that boat just because I'm going through some, some struggles right now. But, but Naomi and Abimelech, they didn't get that. They, they decided to, to go to this uh, a foreign land called Moab. And Moab is full of, of a bunch of what? Moabites, you guys are so smart. That's why you're the 1130s, because all morning you were studying the Bible, at, right? And, and so they, they go to this land that is full of Moabites. Who are the Moabites? Uh, the Moabites are descendants of this man by the name of Lot. 
Lot is the cousin of Abraham, the father of Israel. And Lot, when he split ways with his brother Abraham back in Genesis, uh, he went and settled in this land called Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah was like the Amsterdam Vegas of the day. It was a very evil place. This is Old Testament. I don't understand everything about the reasons why God did certain things, but we read that God was going to send down judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah because it was an evil place. There was immorality taking place there. There was wickedness. There was horrible things, and God was going to bring forth judgment on that city. Uh, But before he did that, he warned Lot and said, I want you to take you, your two daughters, and your wife and get out of Dodge. Get out of Sodom and Gomorrah, and don't look back. And so that's exactly what Lot did. He gets his girls and his wife, and they go, and they're running away. And in the moment, as judgment is falling on Sodom and Gomorrah, Lot's wife turns her head. You may have known the story. And as she turns her head and looks back at what God had just delivered them from, she turns into a pillar of salt. And it, it's, a, it's a warning. It's a lesson to us that don't ever look back and, and envy what God has already delivered you from. Don't look back. If God has delivered you from it, there is nothing back there for you. You need to, as we sang this morning, move on, move ahead. God has something better for you up the road. But we see in the story, she didn't do that. And now Lot has his two daughters and they go up in the mountain. And for some reason, the daughters think that there's no other men on the earth. They think that all of the the men had been destroyed in the travesty that took place at Sodom and Gomorrah. And they want to see their lineage continue. And so what they do in this moment, uh, it's in, you can read it in Genesis chapter 19. I'm not just making this up. This is in your Bibles. You need to read your Bibles, BT dub. Don't just trust the pastor. Find out for yourself. Okay. Amen. Amen. Read your Bibles. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you. And I'm just a mouthpiece. I'm just a piece, but you got to play your part. And so in that moment, they don't think that there's going to be any lineage because there's no other men alive is what they think. So they, they get their, their father drunk and they go in and sleep with him. And the product of that relationship is a son by the name of Moab. And Moab is the person who began the lineage of the Moabites. And throughout the Bible, you'll see that, that God places a curse on Moab because of how it came about, because of the sin that it was born out of. And throughout scripture, it says, cursed are the Moabites. Don't ever, God would command his people, don't ever have any association with the Moabites. Don't ever marry a Moabite woman or a Moabite man. Stay away from them. Don't ever have dinner with them. Don't ever go to that side of the neighborhood. Stay away from Moab. He drew a line there. But yet in this moment, Abimelech and Naomi say, we're going to go over in Moab just for a little while. Just for a little while. How many times have we said this is just for a little while and it ends up being a month, a year, five years later? You had no intent of staying in Moab any longer, but you got comfortable in Moab. You got comfortable with the way things uh, are in your life and you ended up getting stuck in Moab. And and so often it it starts out with just a lie, just a forged signature, just I I know I got a problem with alcohol, but I'm going to take a job at a bar. And and it's just for a little while. I just got to pay my bills here or there. It's just, it's just a, a, a little something, but it ends up becoming a lifestyle and a habit that destroys your reputation and your character. And it ends up putting you back into the place of bondage that God had already delivered you from. But it starts with us justifying it by saying just a little while. And so it turns into five years, 
10 years. And while they're there, they uh, uh, marry some Moabite girls. Uh, these Moabite girls are Ruth and Orpah. Are you with me so far? And so Ruth and, and Orpah, uh, they are raised in, as Moabite girls. And they're raised very, very differently than Naomi and Amimelech. They were raised worshiping this demon god named, uh, it's called Chemosh. Say Chemosh. Good, very, you guys are, remember that. Chemosh, very, very evil god. Why is this god so evil? Because this god, history will tell us, would require child sacrifice to him. And the, the environment that Ruth and Opa grew up in was seeing their baby brothers being sacrificed to this demon god. They grew up in a place of suffering, in a place of pain, in a place of complete dysfunction, in, in a place where, where sin was normal. It, it, it seemed like it was okay. And, and so often, how we are raised has a big impact on us. It has a big impact on how we see the world. It has a big impact on what we see as right and what we see as wrong. Uh, you know, me and my wife, we grew up very differently. I grew up in New Jersey, and uh, my wife, uh, she grew up in Bakersfield, kind of like Moab. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, but I, I'll never forget, because you think things are normal because of how you were raised. You know, maybe you think it's normal uh, j j just to, uh, uh, you know, argue and yell and scream and put up a tantrum to get your way. Maybe you think it's normal to manipulate your way to something. Maybe you think it's normal just, just to see divorce in your family. I'll, I'll, I'll never forget. I have a, a cousin uh, in my family, grew up very, very differently than me. And I'll never forget when she was eight years old, we were talking about a couple in our church that was getting married, eight years old, said to Diamond and I, I'm never getting married. We're like, why is that? Because everybody I know that gets married gets divorced. That was normal to her because of how she was raised. That was her normal. And, and Diamond, her normal, uh, when she came over here, I thought it would be nice to take her to a nice dinner at Vic's Pizza. Anybody ever been to Vic's? Best pepperoni pizza pie at the shore, in my opinion. You, we could argue about that, but I love it. And so we get to Vic's, and we order delicious pizza. And Diamond says, I'll have ranch dressing with my pizza. And I'm saying, no, you won't have ranch dressing. The 11th commandment is thou shalt never put ranch dressing on pizza. But, but she's like, that's what everybody in California, you're not in California anymore, honey. You're in Jersey. In Jersey, the pizza don't need no ranch dressing or any condiments on it, whatever you do in California, because it's that good, baby. I don't even know what that means. Is that, is that a not a good thing, Tony? Okay. <laughs> And so, but, but now, still, Diamond, she just to tick me off, orders ranch dressing every single time we go out for pizza. But, but nevertheless, that's a lighthearted example of, of something that she thought was normal because of how she was raised. And so Ruth and Orpah, the, the, the pain and suffering and, and dysfunction and a family curse and, and, and immorality, it's just part of how they were raised. So it was normal to them, but something in them said, I want more. I, I want more than how I was raised. I, I believe that God has something more for me than, than serving this demon God. I believe that, that, that there's something else out there for me. So they, they had this amount of faith in them, and it caused them to want to marry men that were not Moabites. And so Ruth and Orpah, they, they find the, these, two, these two great men, and, and, and they marry them, and, and they think that, that that's going to solve all of the, 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 the scars from their past, all of the hurt from their past. And so they marry these, these, these two boys, Mahola and Killian. 
And you know what? It started to get better for a little while. You ever do something, make a good decision, follow God, and things start to get better for a little while? Like things are going so smooth. Like, oh my gosh, everything's clicking. Like everybody loves me. Everybody agrees with me. I always get nervous when that happens because I always wonder what's gonna happen when we don't agree? Are we gonna be able to move through this? Are we gonna be able to move through the crisis? Because it's gonna happen. And, and, and all, all of a sudden in that moment, they think everything's going great, but then all of a sudden, tragedy strikes. All of a sudden, the, everything caves in on Ruth and Orpah and Naomi. Uh, not only does Naomi's husband, Amimelech, die, but the, the husbands of Ruth and Orpah both die. And they thought that they were able to marry out of their mess. Let me just say this to, and this, this is kind of like a little relationship advice, single people, engaged people, and then I'll even say it to married people. Marriage does not solve your problems. Marriage multiplies your problems. You heard the song from Puff Daddy. More money, more problems. Sometimes more marriage, more problems. Because if, if, you, if you think marriage is going to solve all your issues, think again. Marriage multiplies it. If you think you're an angry person, you get married, you put a cape on it, you become super angry. You think you're insecure, get married, and all of a sudden you become super insecure. That's why before you get married, you need to be more focused on becoming the right person than finding the right person. See, happiness is not finding the right person. Happiness is becoming the right person. Because if you're the wrong person and then you meet the right person, what do you think you are going to do to that right person? Come on now. Okay, I'm done, done with that. We good? And so they thought that they could marry out of their mess. But sometimes our past has a way of following us, doesn't it? Sometimes our, our past mistakes have a way of rearing their ugly head at the worst times in our life. And something that we didn't deal with in our past and we thought it was gone and all of a sudden uh, we, we, we get in a new life, we get in a new relationship and all of a sudden it's like it follows us. Anyone ever thought that it's like this, this black cloud like follows me everywhere I go and, and sometimes I feel like it's just a matter of time before they discover who I really am. Maybe I'm the only one. Sometimes I, I, I could feel that insecurely as a pastor because I know that I am not perfect. I know that in so many ways, I, I'm, not, I'm not really qualified to do this. And sometimes one of my greatest fears is that, is that you're going to discover that I'm a fraud, that, 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 that I'm, not, I'm not the greatest pastor or, 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 or whatever it may be. And, and, and all of a sudden, in that moment, everybody is going to walk out on me. And, and I believe sometimes if I feel that way, maybe you feel that same way deep down inside because you know all the weakness is you know the inner demons that you battle with on a daily basis. You know all, all the things from your past that sometimes rear their ugly head in your life and you're not dealing with them the right way. And, and that's kind of what, what happens with, with Ruth and, and Orpah because I, I believe somewhere in them, they felt like their past was following them, that this curse that they were under, this family curse that they were under, that, that my parents got a divorce and I'm gonna get a divorce and, and my parents were like this and my lineage is like this and I'm just gonna be the same way and it's just a matter of time before they find out who I really am. And, and I feel like so often our, our past mistakes are like scars. They just don't go away. Anybody have any scars in here this morning? I got, I got one weird scar. It's on my wrist. 
And uh, this one right here, I actually took a picture of it, and we're going to blow it up. Can you see it? I got this gnarly scar on my wrist. And it, it happened actually a few years ago. I was scuba diving with Diamond, and, and the, 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 this little uh, shark came up and tried to attack Diamond. And I put my hand in the way the shark bit me, but then with my right hand, I beat that shark and knocked it unconscious. <laughs> nah, that didn't really happen. That didn't happen, nah. Nah. You, you want to know how I got this scar? For, like, for real? <laughs> I wish it was that cool. I actually got this scar from a hot stone massage. <laughs> The shark story was a lot cooler, right? I get no street cred with that, right? <laughs> None whatsoever. Uh, you know, my, my dad took me to get a hot stone massage, and I told him I had, like, like, some wrist aches, and they took this stone, like, out of, like, the lava of, like, Krakatoa volcano or something like that, put that sucker on my wrist, and I didn't even know how hot it was until I got home, and I saw, like, like my nerves had been singed off my wrist, and, and I feel like I got this, this stupid scars. Anybody got some stupid scars? <laughs> sometimes we get scars because of, uh, you know, what was done to us, but then sometimes we get some stupid scars, right? Come on now. And everywhere I go, this scar goes with me. I try and hide it with a watch, but it's there, baby. Every time I look down, it's there. And a lot of times, that's, that's how our past is. Is Every time you look down, you could cover it up. You could try and move on, but it's like it rears its ugly head at the worst moments. And I thought I overcame that. I thought that wasn't part of who I was anymore. But every time I look back, it's like that scar. And scars, sometimes they could talk. Sometimes they, they talk. Like this is who you really are. Don't you remember what you did? And, and all of a sudden, the regret can come. And, and that's what's taking place here with, with Ruth and, and, and Orpah is they finally start to see some hope, finally start to see some progress in their life. I'm getting out of Moab. I'm getting out of my past, this horrible place I grew up. And now tragedy strikes, and my husband dies, and her husband dies, and here we are again. See, every crisis is a crossroad. Every crisis in your life is a crossroad. Which way are you going to go? Uh, transitioning now to kind of the, the close that I want to get to, um, and it's an illustration that uh, I have from a marathon. Every crisis is a crossroad. Probably the most famous marathon in the entire world is the marathon uh, called the Boston Marathon. Anybody ever run the Boston Marathon before? Nobody. Anyone ever run a marathon before? Nobody. My kind of people. We're, you're, I'm, in, I'm preaching to the right people because those marathon people are crazy. I did a half marathon twice, and I, I, it was the worst experience of my life both times. And I, I give you permission, if you ever hear me say from this pulpit or even in a conversation that you overhear me even talking about or considering running another half marathon, you have permission under the, the, the accountability of God to punch me in the face. Okay, because I, I, it is the worst experience. I could never imagine, not, I, I did 13 miles. Imagine running 26 miles, and that's what the Boston Marathon is. These people are nuts. They come from all over the world to compete in this, in this marathon. It's the most prestigious one in all the world, and uh, it, it's 26.2 miles. And the reason it's the most difficult marathon in the entire world, uh, commentators say, is because of the way that the course is laid out. It's laid out in a way that uh, can really take a toll on your body. 
because every marathon runner will tell you, it's scientifically proven, that between the 16 and the 20 mile mark, your body will, they call it hit a wall. But what's really happening to your body in a marathon is you're going through hyperglycemia, where your body has been exerting itself for so long that you run out of blood sugar and, and your body doesn't have anything to feed the muscles any longer and it begins to suck the, the nutrients out, like literally out of your brain and your brain gets, starts to get cloudy and fuzzy and you want to shut down and stop running, but that's when you have to push through the wall that the real runners are able to do that. Happens between the 16 and the 20 mile mark of any marathon. And in the Boston Marathon, what they do is this. The first 16 miles is a slight downhill grade. And then right at mile 16, they have their first of four hills. And the last one, the biggest one, is called, anybody know what it's called? Heartbreak Hill. Heartbreak Hill. And so for anybody who is not an experienced runner, they get to Heartbreak Hill and they literally will have a heart attack. And they won't be able to finish the race because uh, this is what they say. The, the people who built the, the, the course and laid it out say that at Heartbreak Hill is where the real leaders are born. That some people may be able to keep up, but after Heartbreak Hill, it weeds out all the weak people. It weeds out all the people that can't hang at Heartbreak Hill. And I thought that that is such a perfect illustration because every single one of us has a heartbreak hill that we've gone through in life. Every single one of us, maybe we're going through a heartbreak hill in our life. Maybe for, for you, it might have been a divorce you went through. It might have been a rejection. It might have been uh, or may be a wayward child. It might be a spirit of depression that comes on you at every moment you think that you've overcame it. All of a sudden, when the stars align, you go through that same struggle. And, and it's like your heartbreak hill is here again. It's a relationship that fell apart. It's a tragedy that took place. It's a layoff that happened in your life. It's a job opportunity that you flush down the toilet because of your stupid decisions and now you're at heartbreak hill but every crisis is a crossroad and I want you to know no matter where you're at in life you will go through crisis I consider myself in many ways I, I love Jesus I love Jesus so much I am so thankful for him I, I am as obedient as I can I, I serve him as much as I can and I go through so many crises in my life probably similar to you and I want you to know that just because you're saved doesn't mean you're not going to go through heartbreak. Just because you're following the Lord doesn't mean you're not going to go through heartbreak. And at this church, if you're new here, um, just want to warn you, uh, very transparent. Um, we, I believe that this is a family. And when we're going through things as a family, uh, we need your prayers. And when you're going through your things in your life, uh, we need to be praying for you. This is a partnership. This is not uh, a one-man show. We're all in this together. We're all in this same uh, struggle together. And uh, I was hit this, this year uh, with things out of nowhere. Um, I was so excited about 2020 and uh, had so much to be excited for and still am. Uh, but as Diamond was praying last Sunday, she was just sharing kind of vaguely about uh, all the storms that we've been facing this year, one after another. It's like when it rains, Simon said, it pours. It's like once one thing happens, it's like, all right, I think I'm over that, and then another thing, and then another thing, and then you feel like, God, what is going on? Is, is everything just going to fall apart now? And, and I don't know if you've ever dealt with that, but we're, we're going through that right now. 
and uh, it, it was a, a year where uh, we were so excited. We, we had an unexpected uh, uh, pregnancy, and we were so thankful uh, to be able to share that with you guys. And, and we had like all the renovation plans because we had to add another bedroom. We, we had to turn our three-bedroom into a, a four-bedroom because we had all these kids coming, and, and we had you know, home equity loans, people we had to meet with. And we were so you know, excited, but a lot of pressure all at the same time. And uh, we, we never knew what it was like to lose a child before. It never even crossed our mind. And it, it happened about two weeks ago on a Friday. And uh, Diamond went in, and, and there was some complications. And uh, we got prayer for it, which is what you have to do. Whenever there's a crisis, you, you, you pray about it. You don't talk about it. You don't complain about it. You pray about it. You get with some brothers and sisters, and you pray about what you're going through. And, and that's what we, we did. And then right, right after we got the news, we prayed about it. And then the next day, um, we, we found out we lost the baby next day, Saturday. Then had to come here and preach to you guys. Don't ever think that just because we have smiles on our faces that we're not going through things. It, we, we all go through struggles. And, and that, this, was, this was devastating for us. This was extremely hard for us. Um, we had made all these plans, but then it's like our plans started to fall apart. And then you get the final news and it's like, oh my God. And what do you do in those moments? That's our heartbreak hill. That's one of the heartbreak hills we'd have to go through. What's your heartbreak hill that you're going through? But what I found is so important when we go through our heartbreak hills is what are you clinging to? See, what do you cling to when you go through a crisis? What's the first thing that you reach for? Is it, is it I, I got to get together with my homies. I got to get together with my girls. I, I, I got to go numb, numb it or I got to go run from this pain that I'm feeling. You know, what do you cling to in a moment of crisis? Because we all cling to something. But I have found through every single one of my crises that I have gone through is that the only thing that could ever get me over my heartbreak is when I cling to Jesus, when I cling to the only anchor for my soul. I can't cling to Rick. I can't cling to John. I can't cling to you because you're in the same sinking ship of sin and struggle that I'm in. But it is only when I hook myself to the only one who has the strength to be able to pull me out of my pit of depression and pit of pain and pit of suffering and his name is Jesus and he was an anchor for Ruth 2,000 years ago and he is an anchor for me and he is an anchor for you. What do you cling to when you go through your crisis will dictate the legacy that you leave. Because at Heartbreak Hill is where legacies are born. And Ruth and, and Orpah, they had a decision to make. What are you going to do? Are you going to go back? Are you going to complain? Are you going to be a victim? What are you going to do? Go back to Moab where you came from? It's your choice. Or are you going to cling to an unknown future that God has for you? Because you know what your past is like. You know what's back there. You know, you know, you know, you've gone through it before. And so often, even though we know it's not the right thing to do, just because we're comfortable about it is what we cling to so often. In the moment of crisis, we go back to what's comfortable. 
But in that moment, your Bible says that Naomi turns to to Ruth and turns to Orpah and, and says, go back to Moab where you can marry another man. Don't follow me. Don't go back uh, to, to God's place with me. I'm going back to my homeland. And, and Orpah, the Bible says, kissed her and left and went back to Moab. But there was something about Ruth that says, no, I'm not going to go back to the life that I had before. I believe that God has something more for me. I believe that even though I don't know what my future holds, I know who holds my future. And I believe that because he holds it, that he is going to be with me in it. And even when I feel like I can't go on anymore, he's going to give me the strength to continue. That even though a thousand may fall at my left and 10,000 to my right, Psalm 91 says that none shall draw near unto me, that no weapon formed against me shall prosper. And every tongue that rises up against me shall be condemned. Doesn't say that weapons won't come against you. It doesn't say people won't talk about you, but it says that they will not be able to condemn you and they won't be able to destroy you. And Ruth had this ability in her to say, I'm going to cling to you, Naomi, whether it costs me my life, whether it costs me my reputation, whether it costs me my success, I'm going to cling to you. And in that moment, her legacy was transformed. Every crisis you will face is a crossroad. How will you respond? And Ruth, because she responded the right way. She clung to Naomi and she went into this foreign land. Some of you, you're in a foreign land right now and you don't even know why you're there. And Ruth was in a foreign land. She didn't have any money. She didn't have, she, she had money back in Moab. That's where her family was. That's where she could have been taken care of. But now she's in a foreign land. She has no money. She doesn't know where she's going to get her food from. They, they, they can't marry a, because they, they now are widows and in, uh, under the, the rules in Israel, you, you, there were certain people you, you just couldn't marry again. And so they had to go in the soup kitchen line. And, and they would go in the soup kitchen line. And uh, there's Ruth just kind of looking for scraps. You read about it. She's in a field. And this field is where they would do the harvest. And then all the rotten wheat and all the rotten food they would throw on the ground. And then all the scavengers would come and pick it up. And there's Ruth scavenging through stuff. Scavenging through stuff. But you know what? That's how she found her man. That's how she found the one that was going to help her produce a legacy. It was because of her determination. It was because of her faithfulness. I want to say to any, maybe I'll say this to the ladies that are, that are single. It's not going to be a sexy dress or your makeup that's going to bring forth the man that God wants to put in your life, but it's going to be an inner strength that's inside of you. It's going to be a faithfulness inside of you. I'll say that to the men. It's not going to be your success or your status that is going to attract the right woman into your life. It's going to be, what do you do when crisis hits? Are you going to stay faithful or are you going to be weak and go back? Because this is what happened. When Boaz saw her, his name is Billionaire Boaz, by the way. Not really, but he could be, okay? (laughs) And this is what happens. All right, are you with me? Are you ready for the, for the conclusion? This is awesome. Okay, look, look, look like you're interested, okay? Okay, just help me, even if you're not, just help me out. I need some help up here. Sometimes I feel very lonely up here and I, we gotta do this together, okay? And, and so billionaire Boaz sees her in the field working and he notices her, this is what he says to her. I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. 
May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, whose wings you have come to take refuge in. Billionaire Boaz, the reason he noticed her is because how she responded in a crisis. Every crisis is a crossroad. And people are watching how you will respond when you go through your heartbreak hill. And because Ruth responded the right way, she clung to a new life. She clung to her future. She didn't cling to her past. Billionaire Boaz saw her. And you, you can read the rest of it. He, he's what they call the Kingsman Redeemer. There was only one man that she could marry according to, to Israel and their, their laws for marriage. And it was this guy, Boaz. And she, she found him. Boaz found her. And they got married. And uh, uh, she ended up having a baby named Obed. And Obed had a baby named Jesse. And Jesse had a baby named David. And David had a great, 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 great grandson named Jesus. And this woman, Ruth, changed her legacy from being in the lineage of the Moabites, child sacrifice, immorality, brokenness, suffering, to now being in the lineage of Jesus. Because Heartbreak Hill is where legacies are born. How will you respond to your Heartbreak Hill? If you respond correctly, if you are a stage five clinger to Jesus, you could reshape your entire legacy. Now, now, there's some things you can't change, right? You can't change your past. Do you know that? They could expunge it, but it's still there. You still did it, sir, honey. It's still there. I, I know we, we get real weird in church and we say, you know, your past is gone. Yeah, maybe in God's eyes, but not anybody else's. Because <laughs> you still remember it, don't you? <laughs> some people, I don't even remember my past. Well, either you were too drunk and too high to remember it, or you had a lobotomy. But other than that, it, you, you remember it. Come on now. We get really weird spiritually in church, but it's there. That past is there. That scar is there. Ain't going nowhere. I got to carry that with me wherever I go. And this is what I love about what Jesus does to our scars. Because one day, um, I was trying to study, and I couldn't come up with anything, couldn't come up with a sermon, and I just started staring at my scar. Put a picture of just the scar up again. I just started staring at it. And I started remembering the, the, the hot stone massage gone wrong. And, and then I'm staring at it. And then I'm starting to trip out. Like, am I seeing something there? Like, is that just me? Or does that kind of look like a bird? Now I'm really tripping. And then I'm saying, no, wait, that kind of looks like an eagle. Actually, yeah, that looks like an eagle. And now I have a giant tattoo of an eagle on my back because I, 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 my dad loved eagles. I wear an eagle ring. I'm all about eagles. And then I'm like, this is crazy. I have an eagle scar on my wrist. God, you are awesome. <laughs> and then I, I thought to myself, I said, oh my gosh, God doesn't take away our scars but he shapes the way we look at them. And, and I said, you know what? That's, God can't take away your past. It's there. 
but he will change the way you're able to interpret the past that you had, what you've done and what was done to you. He's able to reshape the way you went through your heartbreak hill and able to rebirth your legacy so that now your scars don't declare the brokenness of your past, but your scars declare that he is my healer. There was a reason why Jesus, when he uh, rose again, that he still had the scars in his hands because people needed to see the scars to know that he had risen from the dead. People need to see your scars to know that Jesus is still a healer, still a redeemer, that he could take people out of poverty and bless them. He could take people out of brokenness and set them on a new life. He could take people out of a lineage of divorce and abuse and allow them to become a great mother and a great father and create a lineage of blessing for their family. The scars of your past, you don't need to hide because they declare the glory of God. Fierce faith produces a fierce legacy. And at Heartbreak Hill is where legacies are born. Amen. Amen. Let's just stand to our feet if you're able to. Amen. I mean, let's just bow our heads and in the back, if we could just have some reverence right now. Lord, we thank you so much for every part of our life, Lord God. God, I thank you for your grace that has protected us through every season, Lord. And God, I pray right now for anyone in here who has gone through a heartbreak in their life. Maybe you're going through that heartbreak right now. Heartbreak Hill comes in so many different forms. Could be a a, a wayward child. Could be a breakup. Could be a relationship that's gone south and you put so much into this relationship. You made plans mentally about where it was going to go and now it's falling apart right in front of your eyes. Maybe it's a Maybe it's a divorce. Maybe it's a spirit of depression that you just can't shake and you thought you were over it. But then when the stars align, all of a sudden you feel that same brokenness come back. I pray this morning that, yes, our friends are great. Yes, therapists are great. But you will never get over your heartbreak hill unless you learn how to cling to Jesus. Jesus knows you because he, he's the one that birthed you. He's the one that created you. And he's the only one that could help sustain you through this season. I pray that as you cling to him, that you're going to be able to see your scars, your past, be able to shape, be shaped into something glorious.